You're listening to the Bill Shaves Podcast, presented by Midco Sports. The seasons might be changing, but Midco Sports' dedicated coverage of UND athletics is not. Do not miss live broadcasts of Fighting Hawks hockey and basketball this winter, plus original shows like Day by Day, Through These Doors, and all the relevant social media updates and info that make you a better fan. That's Midco Sports. This is how we do sports. And this is the Bill Shaves Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bill Shaves Podcast. We're taping this on a Tuesday morning, the 15th of November. Alex Heinert, Bill Shaves, and special guests today, Bill, here joining the pod. Chad Cardhauser, Chief Financial Officer, Senior Associate Director of Athletics. Lots of great titles. Chad, thanks for being part of the show. A lot of titles. A lot of titles, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah, we're excited to have him, Alex. We figured uh, Chad is our uh, resident uh, spreadsheet maker when it comes to the FCS playoffs. And so uh, does it in color-coded format. It's awesome. Um, so just yeah, that, little... sound, that sounds bad. Like, I'm just going to say out the gate, like, that doesn't, like, like spreadsheet maker. Like, like could we come up with, like... <laughs> We got a great title and then like spreadsheet maker. Like that's what, okay. But that's I fine. think we like, well, listen, we use the committee uses the simple rating system. I'm fairly simple. So I'm going to stay really simple in this, uh, in this uh, particular pod, but Chad and I worked together at Eastern Alex uh, for a bit. Um, obviously we've been through a lot of playoff scenarios at, at, at the FCS level. So I think we have a pretty good understanding of uh all the um, all the uh, X's and O's, if you will, when it comes to the process. So it's probably good for the pod to uh, to at least go through this again, because I know uh, we've been in the playoffs a couple of times since I've been here, but uh, always good for a refresher course. The timing of it is great because the regular season ends this Saturday, and then Selection Sunday will follow. And UND's in good shape right now at seven and three, five and two in the Valley. Not in yet, but seven wins certainly makes you a good candidate, and if you get to eight, then you're feeling pretty comfortable. But this is, again, I, every year we come around to this time, and there is that question of, okay, how do we decide who's going to host? And and what does that process look like for teams that don't receive that first round by? And then when you get to the second round, how does that work? So hence, Chad and his association with this university and this process, and that's why he's on the show today. So Chad, how do you look at the big picture in things like this? And how do you and Bill work together to figure out Okay, what does this bidding process look like? Maybe maybe we should start there. What is the bidding process and how does this work from an FCS perspective? It is a pretty intriguing process when it comes to the bidding process. So first of all, if you're in the in the realm of thinking that you're going to be in the playoffs, the first thing you need to do is just actually submit the bid. Like you, 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 I mean, technically there is a bid portal. You need to go in there and it's not as simple as just, Hey, we're going to put in a number that we think would be uh, advantageous for us, you know, being the one awarded the bid. There's other things um, you have to upload, uh, you know, okay. What, what, where are your camera locations in your facility? Where is your facility? Uh, can you host, uh, do you have a hotel set aside for the visiting team? Does it have a meeting space? Uh, is there an appropriate locker room? Those types of things. So those are all things that you need to put into the portal. Then when it comes down to it, then you get into that bid process. And so for the first round, so we're talking the games that take place during the Thanksgiving weekend. So really there are, you know, and maybe just take a step back. There are 24 teams that make it. 
uh, mix of conference champions and at-large bids. Uh, I believe it's 11 uh, conference champions and 13 at-large bids. And with that, eight teams will be identified as being a seed or a top eight seed, and they're slotted one through eight. Those teams have a buy that first round weekend, that Thanksgiving weekend. So they will not be a part of that bid process. The other 16 teams are matched up. And then when those teams are matched up, the committee takes a look at the bids and they open them up. And basically, whoever has the higher dollar amount will be awarded the bid. So that's really kind of the process that gets that gets into it. And as you move further along, if you are a seeded team, so you're one of those top eight teams, and this is why it's really important to try and get into there. As long as you bid a minimum amount of dollars that the NCAA identifies, you will be awarded the home game, even though you might have been outbid by somebody else because of the fact that you are the higher seeded team. And that only exists for those top eight teams that are on there. So hopefully I haven't confused you too much. As you know, we're only about five minutes into, into it right here. <laughs> the, the foundation's been laid. Go ahead, Bill. Let me just add a little bit. Um, so what could happen is if you're going to say the top eight teams, then they really have nine through 24 left. So technically, you could have the second best bid, but unfortunately, you got paired up with a school that had the best bid. So uh, so they are going to put the bracket together because there's bracket principles that they have to adhere to. And then ultimately, you then will open the bid. And so uh, that's what happened back in 19, Alex. We unfortunately got beat by a Nichols bid that was you know, we had from what I from what I understand, we had a very competitive bid. Let's just say it was a top three bid. And we got beat by the second bid in the process. So therefore, we were on the road and not at home that weekend. Bill, you mentioned the term bracket principles. What are those bracket principles that the committee is looking at as they're trying to figure out where the 16 teams that are playing in the first round are going to go? Yeah, there's a couple of them. Uh, and Chad can clean me up. But I, there's a couple that, are, uh, um, that stand out. Uh, you cannot play someone that you've played during the regular season. So that's, that's number one. Uh, number two, they do try to pair you if you're within 400 miles of someone and you haven't played already. And so therefore they eliminate air travel as opposed to having bus travel. So those are the main ones, really. I mean, uh, Chad, are we missing anything really from there? No, no. I think that they always try and um, I would say one other one, too, is they don't try and match you up within your conference as well. It's kind of kind of like how you had said Abilene Christian, you know, they're in the mid they're in the Midwest. Uh, they're in Texas. Uh, I would say they're one of the teams that are kind of closer to those big sky and I would say Missouri Valley teams. So they would be kind of I could see a situation where they might be paired up with us. But because of the regular season contest, we would not be paired up with them in the first round. So when you look at making a bid, and obviously the Alaris Center checks all the boxes in terms of the basics, as you mentioned earlier, are there hotels? Is it a, a facility that can make, you know, support television, support enough visiting fans, et cetera? When you go to the part where it's like, okay, what dollar sign do we want to put out there? Can you share what is the minimum bid? And then how do you sort of base 
North Dakota's bit off that, knowing here are the other schools that we're going to be competing with, and this is what's worked in the past. What's that conversation like? So I, I'll let Chad answer the, the details, but let me just go broad. We obviously are going to bid at least the minimum, but everyone around the country is incredibly cagey about their bids. And so they just don't ever let you know really what it is. And so you, you have to have some, let's just say, fairly good relationships to figure it out post-tournament as far as what's transpired. So let's just say there's always work to be done to figuring those things out. Now, I would say that we're competitive. Uh, Knowing what I know about various bids over the years, the University of North Dakota's bid will and has been, because he had to hit send yesterday on these bids, um, has been competitive. And we were able to actually hit send uh, earlier than yesterday, which is which is nice, not having to wait until the 11th hour to, you know, actually hit the send button. Uh, no, I'd say that's one um, that's that's one I would say kind of a positive is the fact that, uh, you know, we have a great working relationship with the Alaris Center. Um, we're in constant contact with one another about these things. Um, they're setting aside the venue for these particular dates. Uh and, um, you know, and and we can kind of work together on that. Now, luckily, because we've been through the process with them similar times, uh, they were very instrumental in us uh, we, during the uh, during the, the infamous spring season. Uh, we actually were able to host a game against a Missouri State in the playoffs that year. And again, Missouri State, even though they're in our conference, we hadn't played them that year, which is why we were matched up with them kind of geographically. Uh, and uh, we put together between not only the Lair Center, I would say the city of Grand Forks, too, also helped with that as well. And we put together a very, very competitive bid and were awarded that first round game uh, because of it. Uh, so uh, it's it's been a good working relationship. Again, can't get too specific into the details. I would just reiterate that uh, I, how, how, I'll be as cagey as I can with this. If there were concerns in, I would say, uh, when we were number three that particular year and got matched against number two, I am very confident that if it came out this time around, we wouldn't be number three. I would believe we would be number two. And again, I have a theory about who number one is. And uh, uh, if they make the field, then, you know, I think that they will uh, they will always be number one. And um, uh, uh, you can fill in the blanks with who, which school I'm talking about in that particular one. That's right. The, the, the pod sometimes is mysterious. <laughs> it's a good it's it's good to have an air of mystery, especially in this, because it does. It feels like a poker game, essentially, is what you're playing here. A little bit. And, and here's 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 the thing that has to happen, too, is you have to bid each round because it, even though you might not be a seed, if we go down to Fargo and win the game, we could be a seed. So we have to make sure that that bid's put in. So um, so you put in the first round bid, then you had better put in quarterfinals and semifinals because you could have all the seeds lose that first weekend. And now all of a sudden you're bid to bid. And and if you don't, if you haven't put one in thinking there's no way that we could host a quarterfinal game against two unseated teams, I've seen it happen plenty of times. Might've been around 11 or 10, could be wrong. But Georgia Southern did not put in a bid, and they would have hosted a semifinal game, and and they just didn't put it in. It was two unseeded teams, and so there there are there, there's history that that shows you you just put in you do the work. 
So timeline-wise, you need to put your bids in for the entire tournament before it begins. Is that correct? Just so I'm understanding that? Yes, that is correct. When I said that we put the bids in, we put we bid for every round. So uh, we won't be one of those. We won't be one of those teams who, you know, something like that would happen to. Uh, you know, it was a concerted effort again in conjunction with everybody. But uh, obviously, that first round game is the one where we put in. I would say a super competitive bid, and then I would say for those other rounds where it's not guaranteed, where it would go head to head with a bid, um, we put in a a solid bid. But I wouldn't say. We are as uh, uh, gregarious with our bid uh, in those last uh, three rounds than I are with, uh, with the first round. So I think two of the questions that I think people might have are first, when we're putting these bids in, where is that money coming from that we're submitting? Budgeted, budgeted dollars, mm-hmm. postseason account. So uh, when, we, when we submit our, our – uh, our budget on an annual basis. We uh, look ahead to all potential possibilities for postseason play for all of our teams and uh, football just being one of them. Yeah. And then number two, when we do get the bid, let's say, for example, you win the bid, you're hosting a first round game. What does that split look like in terms of what revenue is generated? Is there typically like almost you almost break even, you kind of get close Maybe that's a hard question to answer, I suppose. But the biggest thing, obviously, it gives you this huge competitive advantage. And you're, you're probably not going to come out on top necessarily money-wise. But you're giving your team the best chance to advance. Is, is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, we could look back. And I think each game is its own. And mm-hmm. so you just, uh, you know, I, I would say this. We plan as if some folks are going to be there for sure, but we might have to, that's just might be the price of doing business in a sense. Like, you know, of course we want for the team's sake, we want as many people as there as possible enough. Obviously that would help us from a financial standpoint on the back end, but there's something to be said about playing in the Alara center or playing at home. If you're any one of these teams in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and, and this time around, I would say it's a, it's a little different for us in that putting the bids together during the, uh, during the spring season, you were at limited capacity. So therefore you were having to rely on some, maybe some external sources for some additional dollars last year, you know, you're unsure about what, what is the fan experience going to look like? Um, you know, are all the fans going to start coming back? So you were kind of conservative with your dollars. Now that we've been around it once though, um, and seeing how, uh, seeing the fans at the Alara center and, um, how, there's been quite a few games this year that have felt like it's been loud. It's been very, very loud. So uh, I think that you, the the fact that you are seeing that trend from an attendance perspective, it it lends you to maybe possibly put in a little bit higher bid than maybe we would have a year ago, just because of that little, that, that nature of it. So that is a big, huge portion of it overall though. No, um, uh, I would say it's a, uh, it's probably closer to a break even um, maybe a little bit. And again, it, sometimes it comes out well for you and you make a little bit, but the majority of it does go because you have to bid it to the NCAA. It goes to the NCAA. Yeah. That's, that's where the money ends up. Yeah. So one last question on this. Now, obviously this is the football team, you know, the coaching staff, et cetera, I'm sure would appreciate <laughs> as aggressive a bit as possible. Do you talk with Bubba at all in, in the lead up to this? I'm assuming his, his answer would always be please bid as aggressively as we can, please to give us the best chance to host. 
That that would that would be an accurate statement. Yes, Bubba is very much uh, put in an aggressive bid. Uh, but this time around, we did something a little different. I think that's normally been an administrative item that we did. But this time around, uh, as soon as we kind of we knew uh, everything was kind of trending and we wanted to, we actually had Bubba submit the first round bid this time around. Mm -hmm. So we actually logged into the that logged into the system, had the portal, had the laptop open, was like, hey. All you got to do is hit send. And uh, so actually Bubba was the one who actually pushed the button to uh, submit the bid this time around. So uh, which was which was kind of cool. So, um, yeah, we, we are in conversations with them. I, I think it is a kind of an unwritten rule that every year, even if it's uh, even if it's trending towards, hey, I don't think it looks like we might not make it. I think we still put in bids anyway, because, again, you never know. And again, with the scenarios that I've have, uh, you know, put together, I mean, there's just some fascinating scenarios. So you, you, you just you just never know. So you always want to put in a bid. You always want to err on the side of caution. And again, you want to bid every round. Yeah, I think you do that in any um, <clears throat> any chair that you'd sit around the country, but certainly when you're in the strongest conference in the FCS. I mean, when you when you've gone through the gauntlet like we have in the Missouri Valley, and you have an opportunity, you just literally never know what could transpire with the committee. So you got to make sure that uh, we do our due diligence. So Selection Sunday is coming up. There's obviously a big game between now and then. Is there some peace of mind knowing that the work essentially is done, regardless of what happens on the field on Saturday? You've put your bid in, and now we'll just kind of see. And then when you find out, I'm assuming you both find out when the team does, right, Sunday morning? Or is there a little heads up beforehand? This is this is like real time. The guys know, the coaching staff knows, and you guys know as well. How about that? So 1130 Central ESPNU is the selection show. So making sure everyone uh, has that dialed in. Um, there's no doubt, though, Saturday, uh, we want a great result in Fargo for sure. Like that's number one on the hip parade. But there are other games around the country that if it went a certain way could help us, uh, you know, uh, getting schools their fifth loss if you will so you know uh, a couple of games happened over the this past weekend that were favorable for us ultimately and so there's going to be those situations where if you're kind of looking around the country you might want to be rooting for this team over that team yes we have several of those games. Um, I'll give you a couple. I, I would say Abilene Christian versus Stephen F. Austin is going to be a major game. I think uh, I think we're rooting for Abilene Christian in that one. Uh, if you're if you're if, again if you're hoping for what's the best outcome for UND, I would say it goes there. Um, I think uh, kind of off the radar one that's kind of big Weber State at Northern Arizona. Um, I think we all know Flagstaff is kind of a uh, not an easy place to go play. You could ask us, you could ask Montana state that question too. Um, so uh, I think NAU with NAU with a win in that one, I think that that kind of takes Weber state out of a seed and kind of th there's a scenario there with Weber state, not playing Idaho this year, where geographically, I think that those two might match up. So that kind of would make, I think that's advantageous. Uh, I think that you've got, uh, you're hoping incarnate word kind of, uh, handles business with Northwestern State. I think that's one that you'd want to be tracking on. And I would say the one that's the most fascinating to me, and I would say is, is the one that you, you really want to look at, uh, Eastern Illinois at UT Martin. The reason that one is so fascinating is the fact that UT Martin uh, and uh, like Eastern Illinois. Southeastern Missouri State, yeah, oh. they if they both win on Saturday, they both are 5-0. and 
they would both be recognized as Ohio Valley champions. But the way that their tiebreaker breaks out is because they didn't play this year, legitimately, the champion will be determined by a coin flip. Straight Friday night lights. Hey, Gary Gaines and the whole crew, you know, flipping a coin. Like, but that's that's what they go to in this. And again, there were there were many many tiebreaker scenarios, but all of them involve head to head or the team they're going against or or the teams below them, how they did against them, and because they both would in, would finish five and zero with wins on Saturday, it legitimately comes down to a coin toss. Yeah, the other game I would say that uh, probably would be advantageous is uh, Sac State beats UC Davis as well. So, um, you know, Sac State's got everything to play for, honestly. Uh, a top two seed, which a two seed and a one seed, there's really no difference um, because you'd you'd host, host the whole way through. So uh, they've got a lot to play for. And with UC Davis beating Idaho last week, which was, I don't know what I feel about that, um, other than the fact that, if they follow it up with a loss at the Causeway Classic, then maybe, um, you know, it's it's beneficial to UND. Interesting. So basically, like every year, you want the teams that you've beaten to perform well. And then there's a couple others out there that are just a little bit, a little more niche that you might want to keep your eye on. So Chad, thanks so much for laying all that out. You've got to go to a meeting, so we're going to let you go. But we appreciate the expertise on this crazy process that is a little bit confusing and hopefully less so now after your conversation. No, really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, hey, as always, go Hawks. <laughs> Chad Cardhauser, CFO, Senior Associate Director of Athletics, the man with the spreadsheet. We got to come up with a better name. Okay? I'm just telling you, we got to come up with a better name. Big thanks to Chad for taking some time to come on and explain all that. Again, it is such a unique process that we go through pretty much every year, but there, every year there still are those quirks and you kind of forget and how does this work and what does the bid process look like and all that stuff. Great to have that spelled out before we really get into it this weekend. Yeah, you know, the uh, committee uh, meets this weekend. They will, uh, so uh, Matt Larson at NDSU is the Missouri Valley rep, and uh, they actually fly to Indy uh, on Friday. So he won't even be in Fargo for the game. Um, so he will be uh, in Indy with uh, with all of his other committee members. And uh, Jermaine Truax is the uh, athletic director at Bucknell, and he's the chair. And so, uh, you know, they'll go through the process and, uh, and probably lay out a lot of things on, on, uh, on Saturday and then watch all the games, uh, and then, um, and then release that, uh, bracket on Sunday morning. It's going to be exciting. But as you said, it all starts on Saturday, two 30 in the Fargo dome, North Dakota, going for their first win in the FCS era over North Dakota state. It's a Bison team that is very much playing for a seed. And at the same time, UND is too. These two teams are kind of on equal footing coming into this, essentially, with everything to play for to potentially get a first-round bye. A win for North Dakota, obviously, they're in the playoffs and maybe you're going to be a top-eight seed. A loss and you still feel pretty good, but you're looking more at results around the country. I mean, the, the fact that it all comes down to the final game of the regular season against your arch rival, you couldn't draw it up any better, could you? Yeah, it's it's really really uh, good. It's the way you want uh, the season kind of to go, right? Like every game becomes more important each week, and you know there's a couple uh, areas in which uh, the committee's really going to look at. And I the first three that that um, Jermaine mentioned uh, on a podcast that he was on with uh, Sam Herter from Hero Sports was uh, strength of schedule, which we have an incredibly good strength of schedule, your win loss record, of course, 
and then the availability of your roster. And so we've seen over the course of time where some teams were really kind of put in a tough spot where say they lost their quarterback or lost somebody. And so uh, the, the committee does look at that stuff. And so uh, what they do use is what's called a simple rating system. And, you know, I, I would say it's a little bit, Alex, maybe pair wise-ish, if you will, but it's not as much because there's so fewer games in football and there's not enough crossover connectivity to go strictly in a pairwise type setting. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not possible. It's just, the data doesn't, there's not enough data. So, so then it becomes a committee decision and you know, I, I you just hope that your resume stacks up against the rest. Yeah, that's all you can hope for. You, you do what you do on the field and see what happens. And North Dakota's resume this season has been good. You know, I think Tom Miller laid out the case pretty well in the Grand Forks Herald the other day of the case for. And then, you know, if you wanted to, to poke some holes, I guess the case against. Seven and four typically is good enough to get you in. And North Dakota remembers in 2015 when it wasn't. Eight and three, and with the uh, win over the Bison on the road this weekend, that situation changes dramatically. So you, you got you got to get down there if you can to watch that game in person. And if you can't, check it out on Midco Sports 2 coming up 2.30 on, on Saturday at the Fargo Dome. So I'm going to qualify that, though. Seven and four in the Missouri Valley Conference should get you in. It should. Not all seven and fours are created equal. <laughs> that's true. I think some would say that this year's Valley is not as good. I think that's not maybe what if, if the people out there that are just nervous would say, well, how many teams is the Valley actually going to get in? And it is rated number one. It is. And th- those are the things, again, you, th- that's, you, can't, you can't say anything against it. You have the number one team in the country, the number four team in the country. In any league, especially when you're in one of these types of leagues, it would be better to have a clear delineation from top and bottom. Mm-hmm. It, it, because... You could get four, five, six teams in at that point in time. But what's happened is it's hard to, to, to go play anybody in this league. And certain, certain seasons become harder, especially when obviously you're going on the road. Yeah, and North Dakota's done that well this year. They've gotten some nice road wins in this conference and out of conference as well. I think you, Chad talked about that Northern Arizona game. Obviously, NAU is not up in the upper echelon of the big sky, but you still went on the road to beat a team out of conference and that matters and that resonates. And beating Abilene Christian at home, another team that's going to be a potential playoff team. So again, everything's there. The it, The season is 95% done in terms of the regular campaign. One game to go and it's the biggest one yet. And as long as North Dakota puts a good show for themselves out there, regardless of result, you'd expect them to continue their season over Thanksgiving weekend. Or if it's a victory, potentially in December with their next game coming in the postseason. But we'll all find out together, including Shad and Bill, coming up 1130 ESPNU on the FCS Selection Show. I'll put a bow on it. Final final uh, piece of that puzzle. If we're fortunate enough to be in and say we are playing and we are at home that next Saturday, uh, ticket information, all the information that needs to be out there will be out there uh, as soon as we can, uh, um, you know, hit send on, on, on certain uh, items. And so we're going to be in real time, literally on Sunday and uh, trying to uh, negotiate all that. But we'll have all that uh, figured out here, obviously, this week and uh, and get that out. Yeah, if Chad had a little more time, I did want to ask, what does that look like? Like when you find out we're in the playoffs and we're hosting, 
what are those next steps, Bill, when you get that call? Yeah. So what I end up doing um, is just call my counterpart and I just touch base with them. Uh, and then you, you will have, we will have a meeting on Monday morning with all of the all the people that you need from each staff, the football programs, the, you know, the, the, the ops folks, uh, all of those types of things. So Sunday becomes kind of a scramble for the team that's going on the road because you're going to have to get travel arrangements and do all those things. So then we touch base on Monday morning with our site rep and the two, two schools. And so the host school will give all the information that needs to be given uh, that we haven't maybe uh, on that Sunday. Um, But we always just kind of reach out at that point. And then obviously we have to sell tickets, right? So at the end of the day, we're going to have information out uh, as soon as we can, um, hopefully even late Sunday uh, afternoon. That would be, uh, I think, the idea that we would uh, go forward with. Yeah, well, exciting stuff. This is such a fun time of year. And again, for this UND team with everything to play for this year, they've had a great season at seven and three, five and two in the Valley. One more regular season game left against the Bison. Beginning game you can watch live on Midcoast Sports too, or be sure to get down to the Fargo Dome to see it in person if you can. And then we'll find out the postseason fate on Sunday at 1130. So stay tuned to that and then stay tuned to FightingHawks.com for more information when results are posted and we know what the fate is for this UND football team moving forward. Football has got one foot in the postseason. We know volleyball is in the postseason. North Dakota Fighting Hawks back to the Summit League Tournament this year. They have played a really difficult schedule down the stretch. Jesse Tupac's crew has not come out on top in, in any of those games the last two weeks, which has been tough, but they're still 9-7 and seven in conference. They're guaranteed a conference tournament spot over Thanksgiving weekend down in Omaha. Two games left, Bill, coming up, and it, it'll determine whether UND is going to be the sixth seed, the five seed, those are pretty much the two locations for them right now as they take on South Dakota and South Dakota State uh, with still a chance to move up at least one spot in these Summit League standings. Yeah, so, I, you know, obviously a really, uh, really impressive first year for uh, our coaching staff and, and the team bouncing back from a last place finish last year and uh, now into the uh, tournament. And, yeah, I, it's almost as if uh, – you know, we've got to just gear back up a little bit, Alex. It feels mm. like we were running on a little bit of steam. Played a lot of five setters, it feels like. And, uh, um, you know, but, you know, this past week, uh, give Den- Denver credit and Omaha credit. They came in, took care of business. Uh, two really good teams. They, who knows? They, uh, they could certainly, one of them could certainly finish in second place. Um, it looks like USD's pretty much clinched first place at this point. Um, but, you know, those teams are all uh, fairly evenly matched uh, and it does come down to matchups. So uh, uh, hopefully we have a good week this week on the road. Uh, obviously USD's playing really, real well. We played them uh, really well here in Grand Forks. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, the one in Brookings might uh, determine whether uh, we can finish fifth. Yeah, big game on Thursday night. South Dakota State against UND in Brookings at 7 o'clock. Again, the Jacks 9-7 and seven in conference, just like North Dakota. SDSU did beat UND in four sets in Grand Forks earlier this year. So UND needs to get that win to have a chance at a tiebreaker if it comes down to that. And then, yeah, yes, USD coming up at 445 on Saturday uh, down in Vermilion. And that was a great five-set match. Kind of that, that sort of started that streak of multiple five-set matches in a row. But this is a UND team that's battle-tested, even though they're young. For a lot of them, it'll be their first postseason experience. And that's going to be a huge stepping stone for this team, regardless of what seed you are or how you get to the tournament. You know, obviously they've lost four straight, which is tough, but they're still going to be in position to make some noise in Omaha. And Jesse said it multiple times. 
anybody can beat anybody in this league, and we've seen that. So, um, But you'd love to finish strong going into postseason play for this North Dakota team. No doubt. Volleyball getting set for a big weekend. Um, hockey coming off a big weekend uh, against number one Denver. A couple tough results in the Ralph. This uh, NCHC season with a road trip to Omaha, then home against Denver, and now back home against Miami. A couple tough opponents to get things started, but you know, for Brad Berry's crew, again, you got to keep looking forward. It fixed what happened last week and then find a way to re-correct things against the Red Hawks team that also is going to be desperate coming into the Ralph this weekend. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, uh, credit to Denver uh, getting here. <laughs> they have some yeah. uh, incredible travel issues and uh, they, uh, you know, kudos uh, to them changing literally on the fly, um, having to do what they needed to do. Um, and, and then they got here and uh, yeah, they were, uh, they played a really good series. Um, first time that they've uh, taken two in Grand Forks since 2010. And so, uh, so they played, they played well. Yeah. I, I think if you talk to coach Barry right now, you know, we're, you know, we're trying to, you know, figure out, you know, what roles and what things, what, what, where this team can go right now. And and so I think this week's going to be a big, big week for us as if every week is. Um, but it's, you know, it, I wasn't here when coach Hackstall's teams were here, but I, I guess it was somewhat notorious to some degree of kind of figuring out roles, if you will, in the months of November and early December, and then kind of figuring it out maybe post uh, holidays. And, you know, I think this team's still trying to grind right now on, on, figuring out various roles, line combinations, and uh, certainly uh, um, defensive pairings and those types of things. So yeah, this is a big week for sure. You know, I, it was funny. I, I was, I was kind of thinking back to this, uh, you know, as I was watching, um, you know, uh, the, the final whistle on, on Saturday night and I was thinking, Hmm, what were the Celtics last year? You know what they were mm. 23 and 24 on January 22nd. That, that turned out. Okay. That, that ended up all right. And again, I, I'm not saying that that's exactly what's going to transpire to some degree, but teams do, it's a, it's an evolution and every team is a new team, even though you might have guys coming back there's just, there's a, some teams click quicker than others. And we've seen it here. Teams click clicking uh, early on and, and then they can maybe continue on, but you know, this, this team has, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, some opportunity to to continue to get better and figure out, you know, who they are. Well, I think it's way too early to sort of say, okay, this is what the team is going to be. And to your point, they're still figuring out who's playing what role. If you look at the Denver team that they just lost to, remember last year, Denver, who became the eventual national champions, got swept in North Dakota in November and had some tough times there and then started to figure things out as the year went along. And this North Dakota team right now is kind of in that same boat of just doing some soul searching right now. Heck, last year, this UND team was doing that in January. And they got swept in back-to-back weekends and were banged up. And it just felt like, well, they're going to probably, you know, maybe home ice in the playoffs. That was sort of the, the goal at that point. And then they went on this incredible run down the stretch and won the Penrose Cup. So it's just, I think it's it's one of those things where, yeah, there's some there are some things that need to get cleaned up, of course. But this team is still is really talented and this coaching staff is is excellent at figuring out things over the course of a season. And if you want to look at positives, they do have the best power play and the best penalty kill in the conference. They've got they they have a lot of things going for them. Friday night they played a really good hockey game. They shut down one of the top lines in the country. They got good goaltending. It just seems to be little things that is holding them back. And once they get those things cleaned up, 
watch out. This team is going to be really good. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. Um, you know, the one thing, though, that's incredibly important for, and I know this, t- our team knows it, it, but on Friday night, you can only stack one good game up. Yeah. And then on Saturday is the next game. And so, you know, you can't win eight straight on Friday. And so, uh, so I, you know, Friday becomes important and you know what, whatever we're doing this week to kind of, again, maybe take it, take advantage and, and figure out uh, some attention to details um, this week, then we kind of figure out, then you have the, the quiz or the test. And so we'll see how it all goes. Big series this weekend, Friday and Saturday against Miami. Some special things going on around those games. Friday, we've got Ed Belfour back in the house for one last skate or one more skate, that great promotion that we've done the last couple of years. And then Saturday, the 1982 National Championship team is going to be recognized. A really fun weekend for UND Hockey coming up at the Ralph. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jody's team and our team, uh, led by Nicole Latovsky, do, do just such a great job. Um and making sure that we honor our history and our past. And, and in this case scenario, obviously, uh, a legend, uh, uh, you know, an NHL Hall of Famer and, and Eddie Belfour coming back. And then, uh, and then of course, the 82 team. So should be should be a great weekend at the Ralph. Yeah, looking forward to it, certainly. Again, Friday, 6.30 pregame on Midco Sports, 7 o'clock puck drop, and then Saturday, 6 o'clock coverage begins. Uh, but again, you're going to want to be in the building for this one to see Ed and so many legends from that 82 team. A couple other things from UND Athletics. The cross-country team finished up their season this past week down in Missouri at the Midwest Regional. Some good individual performances. Jaden Keeler on the women's side finished 63rd to pace North Dakota. Luke Labatt on the men's side placed 44th. Uh, both teams just outside the top 20 in total. So the season comes to an end, but some PRs set in that race. Uh, what can you say about this cross-country season, which ended pretty well for this group, considering the fact that they're still figuring things out really in the first year of this particular era with Jim Camp and Tom Scott leading the way. Yeah. What's crazy, Alex, is that was coach Scott's first cross country season. So, yeah. you know, uh, it, you know, obviously track and fields, one of those that literally never ends um, because we're <laughs> going to go sliding right into indoor and then mm-hmm. into outdoor. And, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously there's a level of distance running that, that coach Scott will be, uh, you know, coaching, you know, in those two seasons as well. But, yeah, good, good. It's great to, uh, you know, have them uh, get their feet wet. And, uh, in, in, you know, he's here year one and, and host a Summit League championship. And so, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of great things. And, no, we're excited about the future for sure. Uh, it was great to have those three student athletes uh, competing. So it was awesome. Yeah, congrats to that crew again, finishing up their season strong. And, and like Bill said, best of luck to them as, as they transition to the indoor season, which is pretty much going to start, uh, like, right away. So like now. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much never ends, does it? So the, the ultimate crossover sport, track and cross country, uh, as as that crew finishes that particular season again, both basketballs launching their season over the last two weeks. Uh, great start for the North Dakota women, Mallory Bernhardt's team uh, after, you know, playing a really good Northern State team in exhibition play and then coming up short to one of the perennial national title contenders in D2. You can sell. That's why you play exhibitions, right? You you get some some of the kinks worked out. The regular season started a couple of days later, and they go out and beat Detroit Mercy at home by nine points. And then in a really good performance against one of the best teams in the Mountain West, they defeat Wyoming by 12. Thoughts on the start to this women's season? High expectations for this group, and they're living up to it so far. 
I was leaving the Ralph on, I'm going to flip back a little bit, but it, 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 yeah. it it's, it's, it, it's based on all of our teams to some degree. And, uh, in, in Tim Hennessy was talking to coach Barry right after the game. Um, and then once he was done talking with them, you know, he said, you know, in a, in, in a really good way is teams have a way of kind of letting go of some things quickly because they have to, mm. and they have control of getting better. And you could tell even in the Northern state game, you know, I, that was a team that kind of came in, knew who they were. Uh, t- we talked about roles. We talked about, it feel like, felt like they knew exactly who they were to some degree. And sometimes we have teams that are really finding their way as, as you're going forward. And I think you could say that about certainly hockey right now. And you could say it about men's and women's basketball, because we've got so many new faces um, on each of the rosters and they're all playing different roles, but I thought we uh, responded pretty well against Detroit and then really played well against Wyoming against the uh, the center in the middle, she's she's all conference Mountain West player, yeah. and I thought we did a nice job against her defensively. Yeah, you could just see the evolution, even in the first couple of games, of a young woman like Miranda Vanderwall, who's six six, and this is her first year essentially of playing at this level. You could tell that she's going to be a good player for this team, and and sooner than later, and just the work that this group will continue to do with her, with the other young kids that are coming on and are going to be asked to play big minutes. Obviously, the post position on the women's side is an area where they've they've lost a lot of people with a lot of minutes who, who graduated or transfer out, and that's going to be a work in progress. But once they figure that piece out with the backcourt they've got with Casey Barovich and Claire Orth and Jolie Danninger and some of these experienced players coming back, they're going to be a lot to handle. And we'll get to know a little more about this team this week because a couple of tough games with some old Big Sky teams in Montana State on Friday and Montana on Sunday on the road, first road trips of the year for UND. But the future is really bright. And, and you know the job that Mallory Bernhardt and this staff is is going to do with this group is going to pay dividends in the end. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I thought um, it was you know kind of easy to uh, to to point to, to Miranda a little bit because Mal made a point of saying, Hey, look, we just don't have a lot of returning minutes in the post. And, and so, so, but Miranda's you know effort against Detroit, it was uh, 11 points and uh, nine boards in 12 minutes. Um, you know, that helps and everything got pushed back. Like, so w- when you're talking about, you know, whomever is, uh, you know, potentially, you know, playing uh, the four or the five, all of a sudden she walks in and she's playing the five, everything gets bumped down to the four and the three and the two. So makes a big difference. The fact that you don't have to play Juliet Gordon in the, in the five spot, if, if Miranda or some of the other gals can step up, that makes a huge difference. So it's a, it's a good team. It's got the potential to be a deep team. And like we said, we're going to learn more about them as they make their way out to big sky country coming up this weekend. Uh, North Dakota men, meanwhile, got uh, a good start to the year with a road win against incarnate word last week. Then they took on a top 10 Creighton team in Omaha. And that, that went about as expected. It was, it's a really good blue Jay team uh, that took care of business. But the rest of the way now in non-conference, again, a lot of teams that should be kind of in the, the same zip code as UND. And we'll learn more about this team. As you listen to this, this game will have already happened, but they play Pacific out of the West Coast Conference at home on Tuesday. Then a quick turnaround to go to North Carolina to play Elon on Thursday. Then back home to take on the Bobcats of Montana State on the 20th. Some, some good tests coming up for this young North Dakota men's team uh, who's going to be finding themselves over the next couple of weeks. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I was able to watch, and like I said, that we're recording this on a Tuesday, so by the time you hear this, it will already have played Pacific. But I watched uh, NDSU play Pacific, and uh, yeah, they uh, they've got eleven new players on their roster, Pacific from the West Coast Conference, and mm-hmm. so uh, um, you know, pretty athletic uh, group, and so uh, it'll be a good challenge for us. And then uh, you're right. Then we uh, uh, head to the road uh, just for a little bit, and then we're home. For, for a few games in a row, which is, uh, you know, really, really good um, in a non-conference setting. That doesn't happen all the time for us. And so, uh, uh, so yeah, so kind of a, you know, basketball scheduling is so weird. Like you, you, you've got to shoehorn them in uh, at times. Yeah. So you might say, you know, why are you going to Elon? Well, it's probably when we could get it figured out. And so in Jamie Stevens, who kind of takes the reins uh, of basketball uh, scheduling uh, along with Chad Karthauser as well. Mm. Um, you know, they, they do a really good job of, uh, of trying to figure it out, but you know, certainly the schedules are, are, are never perfect. What well, is exciting that, this team will be playing some good opponents at the Betty this year. As you said, a, a number of home games in a row over Thanksgiving, four in a row, in fact, from November 20th to November 27th. This, a lot of games in a lot of different places. Uh, the Some of the conference season starts in a little over a month. December 19th, I believe, is the first conference game of the year. So just around the corner, best of luck to Coach Sather, Coach Bernhard, and the rest of the crew as they get ready to continue their non-conference play. Bill, I think, I think unless I'm missing something, I think that's what we got in terms of the the runaround today. You want to do a quick flip over to what's going on in the B-side? Let's do a little bit uh, because we, we've got World Cup action coming. Alex, World S- Cup. Sunday, Bill. It all starts on Sunday. The American men play on Monday. It, it's just insane. Thanksgiving is next week. We're going to have some World Cup action over our turkey. It just <laughs> What do we think about that? We, uh, I mean, obviously, and we, we discussed on the pod before, the – the bidding process. I mean, we just talked with Chad for a half hour about how bids work. It's a little different process at the FIFA level. Let's just say that. I mean, essentially the same sort of ideas in principle that you're submitting a bid with all the different who's and what's and how, where these games are going to get played. But the money part is sort of where um, things, things, uh, you don't have to have a detailed plan on who's getting the money or where the money is going or how much is being given. And that's a big reason why we're playing these matches in Qatar in November this year. There's a four-part documentary on Netflix that was released last week. Um, And if you want to know about the process, um, it goes into some pretty good depth. And uh, it was um, interesting for sure. And uh, and. Yep. So here we are because you can't play in the summer months in Qatar and uh, be a bit hot. So uh, here we are disrupting club seasons. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the rub. We, we finished up the EPL this past weekend and we won't see them again until Boxing Day, which is crazy to think about, because, again, this tournament will run from the 20th of November. until I believe the 19th of December is when this will wrap and. Everybody's focus will be there. It's going to be so unique. A lot of these club teams, from a club perspective, you sort of can go about this one of two ways. Either we have a we have a lot of guys that are going to be playing big minutes in the most important tournament of their lives, essentially, and we're going to get them back, and we're not going to be sure how what shape they're going to be in and how this is going to go. Or for some of these teams, like a Nottingham Forest, for example, are not sending a lot of players to the World Cup, and you get essentially a chance to reset 
maybe give the guys a week or two off and then start working and building and trying to get things figured out. So it'll be fascinating from a club perspective to see how things look when they resume this league in December. But also, too, from a World Cup perspective, usually you, you le- your club season ends in May. You get a month with your guys to play a couple of friendlies. You have a send-off series. You train, etc. And then you launch, you know, when you start the tournament. Th- these guys will have about six or seven days to get together as a, as a world national team in Doha, in wherever they are. It's, it's just incredible. The, 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 this World Cup will be unlike any other that we've seen on a number of different levels. And I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. What's your, um, I've been interested to get your opinion. What, what, how do you think the U.S. will do? And uh, they're, they're in a tricky group. I mean, I, obviously they're not the favorite. England is. But the other two, the other two teams, countries we have, it's going to be tricky, isn't it? Yeah, this isn't simple. Um, the fact that, so here, here's the thing. Because the USA is a North American team, they automatically get a difficult draw. Like that's just the way it is because you're almost guaranteed to, you'll, you're guaranteed to get one European team. Likely that team will be very good. And that's the case with England. You also are guaranteed to, most of the time you get two European teams, which makes it difficult because you're a non-Euro. You usually get a set with another one. That didn't happen. Well, that did happen this year because you get Wales and who won through the playoffs. And then you get another team from somewhere else around the world. Usually it's one of the best teams from Africa. This year, it happens to be one of the best teams from Asia in Iran. And there's obviously some history there, both ge- geopolitical and on the pitch with that particular group. And they are, a, they are a stubborn, difficult team to break down that does have some world-class players that can hurt you. And the fact that they'll play Wales first on Monday, on the 21st of November, and then they'll follow it up with England on Black Friday, and then they'll finish with Iran it's a unique setup for an American team that has exactly one player that has ever played in the World Cup before. Because remember, they did not qualify in 2018. So this, I think, to me, I think anything can happen. It wouldn't shock me if they win the group, to be honest. If they get a result against Wales, they tie England, and then they beat Iran. And you just never know. I mean, this happened again. And if you go back to South Africa, the U.S. was drawn with England and with a good team from Africa. And then, and with another European team in Slovenia, a lesser European team, and the U.S. won that group. So crazier things have happened, but we're going to find out a lot right away in that game against the Welsh, who had a tremendous run in the Euros a couple of years ago. They have legitimate superstar players that are kind of waning in Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey and guys that have been through this before. We'll see. I I could see them losing 3-0 because this U.S. team has not looked great in recent months. I could see them winning one nothing, and crazier things have happened. But I, basically, I have little expectation, but I'm I'm hopeful that they can do something special. Let me ask you a question. I do know how England likes to play, right? Southgate does not; he's not a front footer, right? Like he he absorbs some pressure. I mean, they tend to like to win. Let's call it one nothing or a tight game, right? Like they they like clean sheets. How about this U.S. team? How, how do how how would they like to play, and how do they play? So Greg Berhalter, two G's. Greg Berhalter, uh, former U.S. Men's National Team uh, player, and then a good coach at the club level at MLS. He really has adopted this European possession-based style, and he wants his teams to play with the ball 
and he wants them to play out of the back, and he wants them to press when they don't have it and win it back quickly. The product on the field that we have seen and the personnel that he's got do not necessarily fit that philosophy. And that has sort of been the big rub with this U.S. team since Berhalter has taken over. Is that it doesn't feel like we've got the guys that can execute that. But that's the system he wants to play. So based on the, the choices that he's made, the U.S. is probably going to play 4-3-3. They are, they're probably going to start Matt Turner in goal, the Arsenal, the Arsenal backup goalkeeper. They're probably going to have Christian Pulisic playing centrally. We don't know who the starting striker is going to be. They have a lot of question marks, but there are, there's a ton of talent. I mean, it, no, at no time in the U.S. men's national team history have they had as many guys playing European football and playing big minutes for teams in top clubs. So the talent's there. It's just a matter of can it come together. So the last thing I'll say about the World Cup is uh, I had forgotten because I saw the, uh, the quote from uh, my skipper, uh, Antonio Conte, uh, that Italy's not in it this no. year. And so he said, you know what? I guess I root for England, uh, you know, because <laughs> he's got a number of guys on his team that's on the English national team. So, again, if you're in the country, you might as well root for the for that. But I had forgotten Italy did not qualify. That's right. They lost in the first qualifying phase. So in Europe, how this works is I believe there are eight different qualifying groups of five to six teams each. If you win your group, you are automatically in. If you get seconds, then you go into this two-leg playoff, essentially, where you play. Um, it's seated. It's a little bit convoluted anymore. It's not quite as straightforward. But essentially, you've got to win two games, more or less, if you're, if you're not tops of your group, to make it. And Italy fell at the first hurdle. It was like a 92nd or 93rd minute winner in a scoreless game, and that knocked the reigning European champions out. And so, yeah, no, no Italy, no Sweden. Who else didn't make it this year? Colombia didn't make it. There are a handful of bigger nations that, that did not qualify. It's not a guarantee. Now, in four years, when the U.S. and Canada and Mexico host and the tournament expands to 48 teams, then everybody will make it. But this year, we're still at 32, still a select group uh, to be able to punch their ticket and move on and play in Qatar. So, so we probably should end the pod this way. I, who do you got? winning it all (laughs) so i would say right now if you look at the overall favorites i mean everybody's leaning toward brazil a lot of people like england a lot of people like spain people like argentina it's Messi's last ride i think and i will say i've not dug in and done my research to the x degree just yet i kind of think that brazil is probably due i think that they have not won this thing since 2002 they have not won since 2002 that is a life age for Brazil football to have not won in in that long of a span. They have some question marks in different areas, but I I think that they're probably the most well-rounded team that's ready to erase the bad taste of the last couple of World Cups. I I think that they're probably the most likely. I don't know if they will or not, but they're the most likely. Well, they're interesting because uh, sometimes they are... uh... They're hit or miss, right? Like, like you, they've had a couple uh, um, unbelievably uh, big time defeats. Well, you think you think Germany beating them seven one in the Maracanã on home soil in twenty fourteen, like that's that still resonates. And then they obviously they didn't. They think they just made it to the quarterfinal stage in twenty eighteen. They're they're combustible. I mean, any team that is led by Neymar, you're going to have some ups and downs. But their next generation of young stars is really good. They've got a good defensive midfield as well, and they're going to be strong at the back. They have the best 
goaltending tandem in the world in Alisson and Ederson. So all the other teams I can just poke a lot of holes in. Like Argentina is not a, is a, is a pretty flawed team. Germany is pretty flawed. England has flaws. There's a lot of teams that Brazil doesn't seem to have any flaws on paper. France has a bunch of guys who were injured, the defending World Cup champs. Correct. Brazil, correct. And Brazil's bench is ridiculous. All of it's ridiculous, but decent pick. I'm going to, I'm going to say, how about Belgium? We're going to go with Belgium. So first time I'm going to lock my wagon to Kevin De Bruyne. Not a bad guy to say, go lead us to the glory. I mean, they finished third in 2018. I mean, this is a golden generation that is pretty much on its last legs. This could be it for them. This, this like literally could be it. This is it. This is their last go. And in an unconventional year with the unconventional settings, why not pick a team that has been close but might be ready to become our first first time champ? Uh, yeah, in, in I don't a think while. they're as certainly not as deep as Brazil. I mean, Brazil is just deep. Um, holy cow! So, um, but it it should be fun. But it really does come at a time that's just crazy for the club scene. It's a crazy time. So I love club football and I get it so into it and it's it's the best. And then the second international breaks happen. You're like, oh, my gosh. But big international tournaments, though, there is nothing like having the fire hose of four matches a day. All of them matter. Like you really can't have a bad result because you're going to be out three games in the group stage and only two teams are making it like you have to be on kind of from the start. And it's so much fun because this is the one everybody wants more than the champions league, more than a league, you know, a, a, a domestic trophy. This is the one, this is the one that you remember forever. And I hate that. I hate that it's in Qatar. And that I know that so many people have died making this tournament happen and that money was exchanged illegally. And that country has got a terrible human rights record. And it, there's a lot of things that make you say, we shouldn't watch this. We should just not, we should boycott this and say, look, you can't keep doing this giant international sporting bodies, but dang it, Bill, the football is just so good. And it only, you only get so many of these in your lifetime. And the fact that the U S is back in it, we're going to watch and we're going to cheer and we're going to live and die with it. How do you compartmentalize? I thought Hugo Lloris, who's the goalie for Tottenham also is uh, France's goalie that they won the, the world cup last time. You know, he, he just says it's so hard to 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 really get into the political conversation. And in the one comment he made, uh, and to some degree, he said, "You know, many should have had an issue in 2010 when this was when this was uh, you know when Qatar was selected." And so, you know, and again, the Netflix does a pretty good job on the dock. And and for them to do two World Cups in one uh, in one voting session, that was interesting as well. It just it's so sketchy. The whole thing was sketchy because again, Russia got it in twenty eighteen. They doubled down on uh, opportunity. <laughs> oh, we could talk. That could be a separate pod. There's been a lot said about that. So again, just as you watch, just remember, this is this is a corrupt thing, but it is it does bring a ton of joy to people and excitement for fans all around the world, and it inspires people. And it's it's balancing out the the awful and the positive. How about this? Can I end the pod this way? Please, please do. Not everything's a hundred zero. So if it's not a hundred zero, what's your level? Is it ninety nine one, fifty one forty nine? I mean, what, where, where do you begin and end certain things? Yeah, I know it's it's tough. Lots of lots of gray in this thing. So just we hope that you can watch and enjoy and also not forget.
of what's going on. So and we hope you will watch and enjoy a lot of good UND athletics this week. A ton of stuff going on, crossover season in full force. Get out and support the home teams. Maybe take a little trip down I-29 and check out a team on the road this weekend. Might not be the worst idea, Saturday afternoon. But again, best of luck to all of our teams. Big thanks to Chad Karthauser for jumping on. Bill, best of luck to you. Yeah, same. Absolutely. We will uh, see each other somewhere along the line, Alex. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. For Chad Karthauser, for Bill Shaves, for our behind-the-scenes crew of Paul Ralston and Alex Stocker johnson I'm Alex Heiner. Thanks again for listening. Have the best November ever. Enjoy this week. Enjoy this week.